everybody. This is Jean Nathan, and uh, this is Crosstown Conversations. Um, and <laughs> I mean, we are midstream jazz fest season, and um, you know, I'm, I'm both relieved, but also kind of missing what I used to do during jazz fest, which was a production of the Do Drop In at the Contemporary Arts Center, where we had late-night jazz jams up until daylight. <laughs> um, so it was it was a, a lot of work, but I loved it, I think, almost as much as I've loved anything I've ever done. So, but on the other hand, there was the burn concert um, on uh, on Sunday afternoon, and um, I don't know if you got did you get to the David Byrne? Oh my God, it was good. It was just, and what I enjoyed so much was seeing so many uh, people um, there because I kind of tend to think of him as a little bit more of an insider or cult. Mm-hmm. Um, artist, and he is, and in fact, an artist. He's a performance artist as well as a musician. But man, there were just thousands of people out there. And as I looked around, I'm thinking, were they just curious? Um, but no, they were mouthing the words to the songs. So these were fans out there. So it was really terrific. Um, but we're going to talk about one of those wonderful performances that happened during Jazz Fest that's happening. This time at uh, Loyola, being put on by the Southern Repertory Theater folks, um, who are headed our way. I mean, one of these days, St. Rose of Lima, which is a project I'm kind of proud of because I started it off, um, is going to be opening, and Southern Rep is going to be in the church, and that is just so amazing, and it will bring a lot of spirit to the place, I think. Um, and uh, with me today, I have both a principal of Southern Rep, but I also have one of the performers in the presentation that is going to go on this weekend. And um, I'd like to kind of look at my notes because I'm so bad with names, I can kind of mess them up. So Jenny Winstrup is the Director of Communications and Strategic Partnerships for the Southern Repertory Theater. And the beautiful Lauren Turner is the producer and of artistic and community engagement mm-hmm. Southern Repertory Theater, but also a performer mm-hmm. in this particular production of Eclipsed. Mm-hmm. And it's such an interesting title because recently my husband's been focused on this notion of invisibility. So both sociological, mm-hmm. people who are people don't see, uh, but also um, kind of the the threat to our land from climate change and the potential of a lot of what we take for granted of terra firma in New Orleans area disappearing and being invisible. So he does things like invisible boats, all kinds of things. And so Eclipsed, Mm -hmm. um, I just kind of barely took a look at what it's all about. So Lauren Turner, please give me a little bit of a better understanding of what it's all about. Sure. Um, The play is set during the second Liberian Civil War, and we meet essentially five women who are in the middle of surviving that war. Um, If anyone knows a little bit about history uh, there, the Liberian Civil War was an extremely um, uh, 
Bloody War. It was one in which drugs played a major factor, um, especially uh, as it pertains to guns in the hands of children who were given drugs to kind of to make them easier to control. Um, and so women were often um, brutalized using uh, sex as a weapon of this war. And so um, four of the women are living in a compound where they are, they are essentially being brutalized and using sex um, by one of the commanding officers. I play Rita. She's a peace woman. She's a peacemaker. And she is representative of a large group of peace makers who essentially ended that war, women peacemakers who uh, activated themselves and protested outside of the mansion of Charles Taylor, who was in power at the time. You know, this is all yeah. coming back to me. Yeah. The women, the women ending the war, they, that yeah. part is the part that was a big story. Yeah. And so, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. And so, yeah, they ended, they essentially ended that war. Um, and what's so, what's so wonderful about this play is that it examines, um, you know, what each of these women need to survive um, in a way that reminds us that even in the darkest times, there's still moments of joy there can still be laughter. So although they're in this horrible, nightmarish um, environment, they have formed bonds that still allow them to laugh, enjoy one another, and have momentary joy as well. So It's really remarkable. Yeah. We, are, we are like many other species. I mean, we, we don't have any kind of a, a corner on this market, but uh, we have a tremendous resilience, mm -hmm. as the human beings do, um, as do my... Border Collie and Australian <laughs> They amaze me every day with their resilience. I've got a 14-year-old dog who can barely walk right now, and he's mm. just happy to be able to get up and down the stairs. Yeah. So um, that's not a very really good analogy. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't we get know. it. There were days when I, that's my world. Um, yeah. uh, but um, it was brutal, and, and I think that that kind of brutality seems to be you know, I don't want to say it's it's a contemporary phenomenon because it's it's so replete throughout our history. Mm -hmm. This has been and using sex as a as Rape a weapon, as a weapon yeah. has been going on forever. Yeah. Um, so so how tell me about how the play interprets it and um, uh, what kind of a message it delivers to people who are actually watching it. Sure. So one of the things that I love, the playwright Denai Guerrero, who I know a lot of people probably recognize from, uh, she played, um, who was her character in Walking Dead? Michonne. Michonne in Walking Dead. Uh, she was also recently in Black Panther. She was one of the women warriors in Black Panther. Um, she is really... Would a, like to have played a woman warrior in Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> she is brilliant. And one of the first... Um, little notes that she gives at the when you first open the play to read it is that this is for the women from this war zone and from war zones all over the world. So she reminds us that these particular circumstances in the play are horrible, yes, but there are things happening everywhere, even here, even at home, that mirror the brutality and wh horridness of... Liberian Civil War time. Um, you know, there are rapes that happen here in the United States. There are, you know... Um, For which some of our leading 
citizens have just recently been convicted. Right. There's violence. There's un, ins, almost seemingly insurmountable violence that happens here in the United States that people are living in and finding a way to uh, navigate and still make, try to maintain some sense of normalcy, you know, where children are dying in the streets and, um, you know, people are, children are living without their parents because their parents have fallen victim to violence. So all of these concepts, although it was, you know, it's really bad in Liberia at that time, are things that everyone, I think, there's a university, universality to it and that everyone can connect to it in some way. Um, one of the things that she keeps exploring in the play is to remember who you are. Um, my character is constantly asking the other women, what is your name? Where are you from? You know, and having that connection to who you are through the dark times can help you kind of navigate your way. It's when you lose sight of that. It's when you allow yourself to be completely eclipsed um, that it makes it harder to figure your, figure out a way out of that situation and to survive it. So um, I don't miss an opportunity on my shows to um, encourage people to, to be involved mm -hmm. one way or another. Um, we were going to have um, a guest on today who I think is so deep in the middle of registering high school students in Jefferson by the hundreds and hundreds mm. uh, that um, I, I had a hard time connecting with her. But um, I, I really urge people, you can't just, you have to go vote at the mm -hmm. very least, mm -hmm. but you can't just vote. You absolutely have to stay involved and hold the people who represent us um, accountable. Mm -hmm. And really, the toughest thing to do, I think, is in our in our work environment, mm -hmm. <coughs> to not allow the people that we work with to eclipse us, mm -hmm. to 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 uh, force us to deal with that situation on their terms. Mm -hmm. And and right now, I think more than ever, we are at a crossroads where we absolutely have to be thinking about um, in every situation, is this something we should be accepting mm -hmm. or challenging? Mm. That was so true right there. <laughs> just bask. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I think... So so normalcy, what I, I guess I was saying is that except sort of trying to achieve some kind of normalcy mm -hmm. in the face of really brutal circumstances is maybe not the right choice. Yeah, but we try it all the time. I mean, I feel like we do, people do that all the time. I mean, how many, I mean, how many, um, you know, even in this play, for example, there are women who still get up every day and put their face on. You know, they may not have a house with all the walls, but they put on their lipstick, you know, and I don't know what that does for us as humans. I can only imagine psychologically <laughs> what it does. And I don't know if it's like the right thing to do. I just know that I see that all the time, you know, people who are holding on to some of the strangest rituals or things when everything else is fall, has fallen by the wayside. You see, I'm really having a struggle with this because I, I feel like in New Orleans, we do too much mm. of trying to achieve normalcy in yeah. the face of disaster, bad stuff. Yeah. And the level of violence that's happening in our neighborhoods right now is totally unacceptable, mm -hmm. and I, I, to, the police are not going to solve it. 
And our teachers and our education system are a big part of it, and they should address it and deal with it. But um, I don't think we're putting enough pressure on them, really. Mm -hmm. And we all resisted the charter school movement, and I was always neither for or or totally against it, but I I don't think it's the – it's certainly not the solution. We're still – I mean, I think the rankings of the schools in this go-round prove that it's not the, you know, it's not the beginning of the end. It's just okay. Mm-hmm. We're exploring this. Is it going to work? We don't know yet. Um, but I, I think that we are accepting too much in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And I think in this play, actually, Lauren's character Rita asks a question of another character. That's precisely that. I think you ask, you think this is normal? You think this is okay? That, that that our country is like this? That there's children dying in the streets? That there, you know, that women are being put to these extremes? And she's sort of challenging each of the characters who to find to question themselves about whether how they're choosing to survive is the best way, mm-hmm. um, whether they are acquiescing, whether they are fighting. If they're fighting, are they fighting on the right side? Mm-hmm. And are they losing themselves in the process? I think the director, an incredibly talented woman named Malika Oyetemen, said about this play that she loves how it invites us to think about the women surviving circumstances that are horrible all over the world, not just warfare, but as you say, the the difficult situations that families right here in New Orleans are facing. There's so many strong women seeking the right ways to respond. Mm -hmm. And is that to fight? Is that to acquiesce? How do we make those decisions and to think about the women we know? And it was was, was in in that the whole – the heart of that story in Liberia was that they – they rose up against it. Yeah, well, the women, the peace women, snapped everybody out of it. I mean, um, you know, and I think every community needs a good disruptor, needs a person who can kind of come around and kind of, like, remind you of who you are and snap you out of it and say, this is not acceptable, this is not normal, this is not who we are. Um, and, I, and I think that's definitely true even here in New Orleans like I you know there's a strong legacy of, of disruptors and activists who are constantly challenging the people here to to determine for ourselves what is norm what the new normal is and what's acceptable you know a lot of people don't realize that um, the civil rights movement got a major jump start in New Orleans I was always thought I was born in New Orleans it kind of, no, it kind of, it kind of was yeah. on Dryad Street. Uh-huh. The boycott on Dryad Street kind of was a major part of, of kicking it off. Yeah. I mean, there was other activity going on other in the South, but um, uh, I, I like to use the expression "jumpstart" because it just, it, or, or maybe uh, kind of a cliched expression, and again, not exactly apropos, but. Mm-hmm. It kicked the movement up a notch big mm-hmm. time on Dryad Street. Yeah. yeah. And we've done some exhibits on that in the Myrtle Banks building in our, our space up there. But um, at the same time, I mean, uh, I sometimes wish that everybody in New Orleans would have a summer in New York. Mm. That's where I'm from. And they just, they, they hold your feet so to the fire. Yeah. There. Not that not that there isn't a lot of acquiescence to stuff because everybody's so busy just trying to make it. Make it. Mm-hmm. You know, in New York, you just you're there to make it. Here, we're here to live. Mm-hmm. Oh know, yeah, as much as to make it. Um, but I, I don't want to run out of time before I um, engage um, uh, Jenny in another level of the discussion here about um, the theater in the city. And you know, we all 
more and more we're talking about how the arts are a major part of stimulating change, and theater's a part of that, and theater's a part of it here. And I don't know enough about the theater scene and even about Southern Rep, which is one of our absolutely top leading companies in the city. So, Jenny, you're on. (laughs) Well, I think you're in good company when you say you don't know enough about the theater scene because I think uh, we don't get the visibility in town that a lot of the other art forms do, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And there's also, I think... I think that there are so many talented theater makers in this city doing all kinds of exciting work, and a lot of them don't have a lot of capacity necessarily to to get the word out about it, especially small independent projects that aren't associated with larger organizations. And even the large organizations, I mean, Southern Rep is one of the larger ones. We are not a big company within the performing arts world, even here in New Orleans, and certainly next to some of the larger regional theaters um, that are our peers artistically nationwide. So I think with so many amazing musical and visual and other arts forms in this city that have such long legacies, theater has just never really been front and center in a lot of people's minds. Um, But Southern Rep is 31 years old. Uh, Le Petit is 101 this year. NOLA Project is entering its 14th season. Tulane Shakespeare is 25 years old, I want to say. I mean, there's and then there's a lot of uh, newer companies that have come along since uh, the storm as well. Some of whom are doing amazing work. But it's it, I don't want to say it's fractured, but it's diverse. And so there's a lot of different kinds of art being made too, and not a single theater audience. Well, that's always true. I mean, in in a city where there is a lot of um, diverse. Uh, people to begin with. So, I mean, uh, there's endlessly different kinds of theater in New York, for example. And again, I've always been kind of an avant-garde theater hound, mm-hmm. and that's the, one of the few things about New York I actually miss. I'm not a, I am not don't miss things. I like I'm, I'm particularly, I like where I am, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm where I am because I don't find anything that miss, I miss so much that I want to go back. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that, uh, you know, you say uh, some of the other arts uh, have gotten more visibility. Um, the the, the uh, visual arts suffer too, and they uh, the uh, the only art form really that has a high profile is music. Mm-hmm. And talk to a musician any day about their struggle. Oh yeah, I mean, nonprofit performing arts is not a you know a ticket a lottery ticket uh, for for anybody doing this kind of work, and uh, I don't think any of us labor under that uh, delusion. But it is. Um, yeah, I think there are challenges and, and opportunities within each of our respective art forms. And one of the things we're working on in the theater community locally is trying to get a little more collective visibility for the work we're doing and find ways to partner and work together to raise awareness. Um, in the last couple of years, Southern Rep and a number of the other companies have started to create the New Orleans Theater Network, which is sort of a loose committee of leaders from different theater companies locally to advocate for visibility for the arts, to do some joint marketing opportunities, um, to address issues within the theater community that affect us all, and uh, hopefully you know, keep pressing theater forward within the public eye as one of these uh, wonderful art forms that's available to us as a vehicle for social change, as an opportunity for incredible entertainment, as an occasion to bring people together to pass a good time. Um, it can do all of the above and more and that's one of the things we love about it. So I think there are two factors without which um, things won't change in terms of 
building support for theater, and, and one is um, a whole lot more money. And um, I worked hard on the uh, Creative Industries Subcommittee of the Economic Development Committee of the Mayor's Transition Committee mm -hmm. to try to um, make sure that that became one of the top recommendations, and it did. Um, and so I hope that one of the things that will happen with the new administration is that we'll find some ways to bring in um, more support. The other thing, however, is uh, kids mm -hmm. and getting kids more involved. Um, one of the reasons I think that people have such a hard time with the visual arts um, and, and are just literally um, phobic of galleries and museums is because we're not really engaging kids in the visual arts in schools anymore. Yeah. So theater, tell me about theater in the schools and What's happening and what's not happening, and what would you like to see happening? Either one of you. I'd like yeah. to see more theater in all the schools all the time, along with the other arts. But um, I think, I think as with so many things in education nationwide, but in New Orleans particularly right now, um, different schools have different priorities, different schools have different programs, and it's hard to get a unified approach to developing a comprehensive arts education, theater arts education, and so on in the schools. And that's just um, something that we're all dealing with in the arts about finding where we can build effective partnerships and reach the kids. So the kind of network that you're talking about in theater in general, um, maybe we need to see something like that literally in the schools regarding theater. Yeah, and I think even um, research has shown that even more important um, leaving having kids participate in making plays Absolutely. is having kids see plays. And I don't think there's enough theater for young audiences that happens in the city. So I don't think there are, um, like, there's, there are shows that are about engaging with families and children. And so uh, this summer, actually, Southern Rep Theater is going to have a theater for young audience show called... Uh, Elephant and Piggy. Elephant and Piggy, we're in a play. Yeah, <laughs> we're in a play, and it's for our family. So I'm a mother of three, and theater for me is not a family event. It's not something I can take um, all of my children with me. It's usually something I have to find a sitter for, which, you know, is an expense, and I have to, like, figure out, you know, what, what I'm wearing and all that stuff. This is an opportunity for people to come out as a family, which is, as you know, very important in New Orleans. Family life is a big deal here. So I think the more theater for young audience, I think you're exactly right, the more that children and young people can start to see more theater, the better it is for the industry locally. And I think this is something that expands to nationally as well. Elephant and Piggy? Elephant yeah. and Piggy, uh, based on, I think, it's the Mo Willems uh, characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know about Willems characters. Yeah, beloved, uh, beloved children's book author. I don't have children. <laughs> I think, but that's so the, I don't know about But see, that's books. the great thing about theater for young audiences is that it should be just be, it's just great storytelling. So yeah. it's not like you have to have a young person that you know to bring them with you. It should be enjoyable for everyone. It's accessible for yeah. everyone. <laughs> you yeah. know. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so Southern Rep in particular, let's talk about that for a minute because we've been talking in general about um, um, theater. But um, you're coming down to... The seven, you are that that is the seventh ward. I, you know, mm -hmm. we're right on the border there. Coming sixth ward on one side and seventh ward on the other. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, tell me how, what the plans are, the thinking. Give people a little heads up on that. 
Yeah, I don't know how much folks necessarily know about the, the winding history of Southern Rep at this point. Um, as I said earlier, we're 31 years old. We spent almost 20 years of that time at Canal Place um, and lost the lease there in uh, 2012 and have been on the road ever since. And we have performed in pretty much every kind of space in New Orleans um, from then till now, uh, legitimate theater spaces, university and high school spaces, converted spaces, warehouse you know, event spaces, you name it, we've been there. And at the moment, we're in residence at Loyola University Uptown, which has been a really fruitful partnership for the last year and a half there in their Department of Theater Arts and Dance. And that has been going on while we are working on the final stages of our plans to move into the former St. Rose de Lima Church on Bayou Road, the 2500 block of Bayou Road, very close to Esplanade and Broad. Um, the parish was uh, desanctified after the storm, never came back and the, the church and two former school buildings are being redeveloped by Alembic Community Development and Rose CDC. Southern Rep will be the anchor tenant of the converted church building, which is currently under renovation to turn it into a theater space. <coughs> Tell me how you feel that place will affect your programming and, and, and the um, a thought process of what Southern Rep will be doing and how that'll be different from what it's been. Oh my gosh, it's going to be such a wonderful opportunity to expand and deepen our programming and to <coughs> make theater more accessible to a broader section of the population. Um, we were lucky to have a stable space in Canal Place for so many years and people knew where we were and, and what it was, but we've never been able to be you know, at street level with our doors open, with our sign out saying, doors are open, here's a show, come on in, see what this is all about. Hey, you're walking down the street, what's that? It's a theater, let us show you what, it, what this is. We've never had the opportunity to do that ever in our life as a theater. So that's just brand new for us and an incredible opportunity to really be part of the life of the city in a different way. And by road in general is oh on my gosh. fire. It's incredible. <laughs> we really feel is. incredibly fortunate to get to be joining such a community and to be on such a historic block of New Orleans. I mean, this is the original crossroads of the city. This is where people would gather for news and stories 300 years ago. And to get Native to tell Americans. Yep. It was a Native American training yep. post right there where the um, uh, Church of I Am yeah, is Queen, located. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, when I moved into Treme, I live um, you know, two blocks from there. And when I first moved in, that was about as sleepy a little stretch as oh. you could get. Mm -hmm. We had a shoemaker and we had a sports clothes place. And that was about it. Yeah. You know, and a little thing on the corner that I was never quite certain what it was. It was definitely a place where bookies hung out. <laughs> that, that I've heard some stories track. about that place. Yeah. yeah. But, um, and Piku's Donuts, of course, right? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, uh, Beverly McKenna mm -hmm. and um, Vera yeah. and uh, at the Community Book Center. Yeah. It's much more than a book center. And, we couldn't um, ask for better neighbors. Community Center. And... Um, uh, the um, half shell people now are in there, and, and the fairies yeah. and uh, material life. Material life. Yeah, folks, if you've not been down Bayou Road lately, come and see the amazing folks uh, doing their business. It's and fantastic. pagoda. And pagoda. Pagoda. Cocoa hut. <laughs> Domino. Pierogs. Mm -hmm. Kitchen witch. Good stuff. 
Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh there's just a, it's really great. And I want to give some credit to Newcorp and uh, Vaughn Fourier cuz she was there um at the at the end of the of the sleepy phase yeah. helping these organizations to kind of get off the ground. Mm-hmm. Not to mention of course Broad Street Connections folks they were involved in it too. But um here's another question that I, I that I have about the theater scene in the city in general that I don't really have a a handle on. You could, let's say New York is um, dominated to a great extent by a combination of Broadway, mm-hmm. avant-garde, you know, sort of the downtown scene, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, just diverse neighborhood theater companies. Um, so it has a certain character. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you describe, if it is describable, what the character of theater in New Orleans, how is theater in New Orleans different from other cities? We talk a lot about theater ecology in New Orleans, especially with respect to our position within it and what role our new facility will serve for us and so on. And a lot of folks, maybe when they think theater, they think the big touring shows that come through the Sanger, um, your, your Lion King tour, your big commercial brand, that's a 27, something like that, I want to say. And in New Orleans, we have everything from that to the DIY backyard devised shows that people are doing, you know, for 40 people uh, in a converted garage. And I think we see incredible art at both ends of the spectrum here in New Orleans. That's one of the things we're very lucky to have. And Southern Rep sits somewhere in the middle. We uh, do primarily shows that you would have seen off-Broadway first and and regional premieres and then our own homegrown world premieres. So you're not going to see... The Lion King at Southern Rep, but you're going to see a show like Eclipsed, for example, which was developed through nonprofit regional theaters, had a run at the Public Theater in New York, and then a very successful transfer to Broadway with high-profile stars. And this is its regional premiere here. That's the kind of work that Southern Rep is doing within that broader theater ecology that covers everything from the experimental avant-garde to the big, large-scale commercial. And and you did have that that whole June Bug Mm -hmm. uh, phase, and before June Bug, the Free Free Southern Southern Theater. Theater, Free Southern Theater was, I I have to imagine, one of the very first, um, can I say, theaters of color in Mm -hmm. the South. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right? And, um, I mean... uh, Dashiki Theater Project as well, at the same time. Dashiki, absolutely, Mm -hmm. yeah. Dashiki's no longer... Yeah, Free Southern Theater and Dashiki are not... Um, yeah. Still, you know, uh, Free Southern was uh, the le- the legacy of that turned into Junebug. John yeah. O'Neill. But the members and, um, are very much still connected to one another mm-hmm. and here and around, and their legacy lives on through uh, people who have come up and learned about the craft through, you know, from them. So, so I would have to say that um, the theater scene here, to some extent, is reflective of that those beginnings, the the Free Southern Theater and (laughs) Junebug? I think it could be more reflective. Um, I think that um, there are uh, a lot of, there's there's a lot of theater going on, which was surprising. I moved here from New York as well. Um, I'm not from New York. York. I was in Brooklyn. I was in um, Bushwick and then a little bit in East New York. But I, um, um, I think that there could be more acknowledgement and reflection on the legacy that those groups have have, le- have le- left for all of us. Um, well, that yeah. goes along with the, there should be more awareness in general of what's yeah. going on in theater here. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, is there no website or um, way that people can kind of see the whole landscape? 
I mean, I, I've actually worked in promoting a couple theatrical productions. So I worked on the um, right after the storm when um, they did the production of uh, Waiting for Godot mm -hmm. in the Lower Ninth Ward. That was a an really phenomenally amazing production. And a, you, you, you pro were you here at that time? Maybe not. I think no, I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was, and I missed it, and I regret it to this day. Well, it was it was pretty phenomenal experience. But and <clears throat> Nick Sly, anything that Nick Sly ever mm -hmm. does is always amazing. I mean, he's such a talent. It's amazing to still have him in New Orleans. Um, I was a good friend of Gil Moses, who was one of the originals from Free Southern Theater mm -hmm. in New York when mm -hmm. he was up there. And unfortunately, we lost him uh, too young. But thank God, um, uh, uh, John O'Neill has been around and was able to have the impact that he had. But um, how, how do we better tune into the whole landscape of theater in the city? How, how can those of us who would like to see more and enjoy more become more familiar with it? Because I think, yeah, uh -huh. that's a big part of it. Well, the, the first easy step is uh, that the New Orleans Theater Network does have a website that is uh, small but growing and is designed to try to address some of this problem. What is uh, the uh, website exactly? Say it it is www.nola.org. Mm -hmm hyphen theater.com and that is a place where local companies are posting listings for their shows coming up it's also a resource for audition and employment information for theater makers and that is uh, small but growing and something that will continue to grow moving forward but then I think our organically what can people do to learn more is go see a play Go see a play in New Orleans. See if you like it. Talk to the people who are there. A lot of the people in the audience go to a lot of plays or are theater makers themselves and are very knowledgeable about what else is going on. And if you liked this, you'll like that. Or if you didn't like this, you might like this instead. I think that, like so many things in New Orleans, talking to your neighbors, talking to the people around you is the best way to find out what's really going on. I don't know, Lauren, what do you think? How do people... How can people learn more? Yeah, I think um, also the one great thing that is starting to happen in New Orleans theater is that theaters are sharing information about shows at other theaters. And so a lot mm -hmm. of times you can check out Southern Rep's website um, to find out, like, uh, with links to the New Orleans Theater Network. Mm -hmm. where you know, So it's, it's, I think if you also, if you go to a show, you'll see other show, mention, show mentionings in the program. Um, but, yeah, word of mouth tends to be... So it's method. called the New Orleans Theater Network, Network. but yeah. your website is called... It's nola-theater.com. nola-theater.com. What about Facebook? Are you guys on Facebook? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think Facebook is one of the most robust promotional opportunities for some of the, especially the smaller producers in town. Mm -hmm. um, and I think an opportunity, too, to find out would be to advocate with our local journalists for more coverage of theater and arts going on in town. If, if uh, editors hear that people want to know more, about the shows that are happening around town, then they'll be more pushed to cover those with reviews and features. Well, for one thing, I want you all to keep my little newsletter in mind because mm -hmm. um, the people who read this are people who are interested in the culture of the city and yeah. the environment and the urban stuff and the politics. That's kind of our, our territory. But um, I will um, be more than happy to keep on uh, promoting you. And as I've told you, Jenny, um, please bring folks on to the show We'd love to. on a regular basis mm -hmm. so we can um, let people know more about it. And you know what might be fun to do? Do you guys record your shows? For archival purposes mm -hmm. only, for the most part. Although we do have new play development processes that um, have some opportunities. Well, for so my, my thought would be the next time we do a, a program uh, segment mm -hmm. uh, on what's going on in the theater world, um, bring me a, a little, you know, something less Record. than five minutes. Yeah. 
you know, three or four minutes yeah, could be fun. Uh, of, a, of a dramatic high point mm-hmm. in one of your productions, and uh, we'll, we'll play it on the air, because I think that's part of it, too, of getting people excited, is to, mm-hmm. if, if they hear it and they feel it, and they, they actually, without a doubt, as you said, perform. Mm-hmm. If the kids get involved in performance, first of all, the experience of creating is an experience that changes your life. It does. And I, I really wish we had more um, theater in, in what should be the colleges in our prisons. Mm-hmm. And I think that if kids were engaged in, in um, theatrical and other arts, um, when they go through that experience, it's, again, uh, life-changing. And there are so many people who come into the theater world actually from prisons mm-hmm. in New York, for one. I just know of that there. And I don't think that's as common here, and I, re- I really wish it was more a part of what we do. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Eclipsed. Yes. Back to that for just a minute. Okay. We have another two minutes uh, of time. Yeah. Uh, give me, um, again, why should people come see it? Where is it? When is it? And when you're talking about things on the campuses, it's always that parking issue. So please, let's make it very easy for people to understand how to get there. Okay, great. So Eclipse, this is the final weekend. We have a Thursday night performance at 7.30, a Friday night at 7.30. We have a pre-show, a free pre-show performance by Dancing Grounds. Uh, the uh, DG Uprising crew will be performing from 6.45 to 7.15 for free. Um, and uh, the show starts at 7.30. Saturday, the show's at 7.30. We have a free pre-show panel discussion. And on Sunday is our closing performance. It's a matinee. It takes place at 3 p.m. All of our performances are um, on the campus of Loyola University in Marquette Theater. The address is 6363 St. Charles Avenue. She's there got it is free parking. People don't know this, but all the parking is free. There is a horseshoe parking lot located directly in front of the theater, and you can park there, or feel free to park in the West Road parking garage for free um, to see the show. Um, Why should you see the show? Come see the show to witness this beautiful story of survival. Come see the show to laugh. Come see the show to cry. Come see the show to... See um, five spectacularly... Beautiful and talented oh. women. <laughs> yeah. You said it. Performing. Yeah. Valentina Imokai, Imokai uh-huh. Adela Johnson, Sarah Nasabuga. Thank you. Uh-huh. Nasharan Purvis, and Lauren and Turner. Me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lauren, thank you so much. And when um, Jenny, thank you so much. And um, I just want to set the uh, set, uh, do a little setup for the next um, segment of the show. Uh, which I pre-recorded earlier today with Bob Nielsen, uh, who is part of the team with uh, Billy Tannen, who make all these very colorful beads that are a cross between African beads and um, African trading beads and Venetian millefiori with Swarovski crystals all over them. And they're going to be selling them on Sunday and Saturday uh, 2326 Esplanade Avenue from 11 until 2, and we'll have Bloody Marys and muffaladas oh, cool. and other fun things to eat. So um, he's fascinated. Listen to what he says about how they came to make these. They make their living from them. They live in Coney Island mm-hmm. when they're not here. Mm-hmm. And um, Billy Beads, they're kind of magical. <laughs> Marvelous.
I will be enjoying this interview with you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I have with me today Bob Nielsen, who is one of the two uh, members of the team that produce those beautiful billy beads that are kind of legendary, um, very popular at Jazz Fest over the years, and based on um, an idea that came from our carnival. And Bob Nielsen, who is part of the team with Billy Tannen, is going to um, give us a little uh, orientation as to how this came about, and then we'll go from there. Hi. Well, it all started uh, around 1986, and Billy and I were together in New York, and she found this clay, uh, polymer clay, in a craft store in Manhattan. And I, she had played with it when she was a kid, and I had never heard of it. And you, you fashion things with it. It's all different colors, and you end up baking it to make it permanent. Uh, and she went out of town. She, she bought a... Uh, about 20 little bricks of it, and it was not cheap. And then she went out of town, actually down here to New Orleans, to visit her father and and Eugene. And while she was gone, I started playing with this material. And when she came back, I said, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is I've used up all that clay. And the good <laughs> news is, and I pulled from around my back this three-foot-long necklace of beads and that was the very first uh billy beads that we made and at that time they were um kind of swirling patterns right and and not encrusted with jewels as they are now um so take me forward how, how does that evolve uh, trace trace the route well there's really three uh chapters in what we did the first one was just folding and swirling, like you said, marbleizing, mixing colors but not blending them so that you would have, you know, swirls of color. And a lot of those were made while looking at Billy's collection of Czechoslovakian glass beads, some of which were early Mardi Gras beads, her African trade beads. And um, so we were kind of inspired by that. And then Eventually, we realized we could make patterns with the clay and then slice the patterns and press them onto a ball of the clay, and it created a whole other look for it. And then somewhere down the road, we started adding crystals, which we don't do to everything, but we found people do like a little sparkle. Right. But when you went to the patterns, that was really picking up on the Venetian glass traditions, right, of what's called millefiori? Millefiori. What's the definition of millefiori? Um, translation is thousand flowers. And if you've ever seen a glass paperweight that has literally thousands of little, let's say, daisies in it, what they do is they they put together pieces of glass to make one daisy that's contained in a cylinder form. Then they turn it on its side, they heat it, they draw it out into a long... Uh, almost like a long uh, tube, and then they cut it into, let's say, 10 sections. They bundle that together. Now you have 10 flowers. They heat that up. They bundle it. They, they draw it out. They cut that into 10 pieces. When they bundle that together, now you have 10 times 10, 100. And you do that one more time, 
and you have literally a thousand flowers, uh, you know, it, it, it takes some time to do it, but it would be uh, much more time consuming to make each individual flower that many times. And, you know, what's so fascinating about the way people respond to these beads is that um, everybody, it's a very universally appealing uh, objects, not just the beads, but the objects that you make, and we'll talk about those in a minute, um, to everybody from, you know, an uptown matron to um, really uh, people who are f interested in Afrocentric design. Um, they, they just, everybody goes, and kids, of course. And the thing that I've always been so amazed at is the way people will start, who will be looking at your, your merchandise when you put it out for sale, which, by the way, is happening this Saturday and Sunday at 2326 Esplanade Avenue. We'll probably be out on the front porch, so it'll be easy access with uh, Bloody Marys and other things to uh, uh, fuel the sales. Um, but uh, people will stand there and study these beads endlessly trying to make a choice. What's that all about? Um, we've actually had people in the past almost get a little bit annoyed and frustrated because they can't make up their mind between several things. We've had people leave our booth, come back later for the bead. They finally made up their mind and somebody else took it. So people have a very uh, interesting relationship to, well, to any kind of jewelry. But we, when we started making patterns, we noticed that there were hundreds and hundreds of people who work with the same material and who are not as ambitious with the intricacy and the design as we are. And uh, so there's a lot of work out there that uh, sometimes um, when you see our work from across the room, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that stuff. But when you come up close and you really examine it, it's we really try and make it on another level, you know, to, to elevate it. And and Billy and I are both artists who've worked in many different materials. Uh, and that's another influence that comes into our work is the artwork we did prior to that. Mm -hmm. um, I used to do color pencil drawings that were very uh, involved and very intricate. And, and sort of fantastic. Yeah, a lot of space. Fantasy. And, yeah. And they, and they look very psychedelic, but it would be impossible to make them if you were on some sort of psychedelic. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but 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 I've always been interested. The kind of work that inspires me the most is the kind that you can really gaze at and really get lost in, and that's kind of a quality we like to have in our work. And and like you said, we we started with beads. We found since we we bake this material to harden it and to to make it permanent. We found that we could cover porcelain objects, anything that could go in the oven and be baked. So we would cover the porcelain with these little boxes, piggy banks. Uh, bunnies. With, right, bunnies. and Christmas uh, trees. And actually, I, I find myself at flea markets and at, and at stores looking at the salt and pepper shakers because if they're a glazed porcelain form that would look good embellished, we take them and transform them. So. Napkin rings, too. I have quite napkin a few of your napkin rings. But I want polar bears. 
There, there was one I was looking at recently. Because I'm, I'm crying over what's happening with polar bears oh, in, in the course. Arctic. So, well, I was thinking of. I want to keep them in front of people's minds so that maybe my climate denying friends, of which right. I have a few too many in New Orleans, right. where we're so threatened by ocean rise. Hello, everybody. <laughs> um, I, I want them to know about these critters who you see these pictures of them forlorn and not with their beautiful fat bodies anymore and and sitting on dirt instead of on an ice oh my god yeah i mean we were looking at uh i was looking at a polar bear the other day and i would have taken it bought it and and covered it but it had a top hat on it oh uh, and it was a little too goofy yeah but once we find one that's unadorned uh that we can transform we have a, a clay called glitter white, which just looks like a, a nice white. But when you look close, it's got a little bit of sh- a glitter to it. And mm-hmm. I think that'd be perfect for a polar bear. Absolutely. So. Well, I, I've got a couple of polar bears hanging around, so I may have to pull a couple yeah. out. But um, so the Swarovski crystals, I mean, it, you're not just adding sparkle. You're adding Swarovski crystals, which are the gold standard of... Uh, do you call them rhinestones? What what do you call them? They're Crystals. actual cut crystal. Yeah. Cut crystal worldwide, mm-hmm. and you're encrusting them onto your beads or your bunnies or your eggs or whatever your what form you're doing. Mm-hmm. So tell me how you got onto Swarovski crystals, and they're not cheap. No, they're they're not, and um, they but they are. We've tried um, using some that are. Uh, lesser priced and they're definitely lesser quality and they just don't have look quite the same um, we, we learned something early on we would press the crystals into the clay when it was still soft then we would put everything in the oven then we would take it out and we we would then pry out the crystal put a dot a, a little bit of a adhesive and then put tap the crystal back in place and we found a little while, like a year later, some of the crystals, some of the crystals would have darkened. And we realized that when we baked the crystals in the oven, the foil on them was damaged. So now what we do is when we're going to do something with crystals in it, we, we make the object, we put in a temporary crystal that doesn't have foil on it. We bake it, then we take it out of the oven remove those and then uh, put in the the permanent crystals so it's it's very time consuming but yeah I was just you know. about to say it's pretty labor intensive so um, and this is your sole source of, of a living so my gosh you got to do a lot of that stuff that's why sometimes I know that you guys are working up until two three four in the morning right yeah and we used to do you know a lot more um, sort of big craft shows up in Vermont and um, Massachusetts and in the Northeast. Um, and we found that they were getting to be a little too much. We still do one once in a while, but we were happy to see the online presence beginning to take off with things like Etsy, where people can find, we have a whole site. And so- A site we, on Etsy? On Etsy. What's, so what's the address for that? Um, I think you go to Etsy and you would type in, which is E-T-S-Y, and you type in Billy Beads, and our site comes up. And it's basically an online shop, and people buy things 
right then and there, and then we ship them to them, and it's been worked out great for us for a few years now. So, the, so that's uh, interesting for both you, but also there are folks in my audience who are makers, and they should know that they oh, yeah. should really explore that model. Uh, can, can you tell me just a little bit about how that works? Um, well, it's changed. It used to be a little bit more kind of bespoke and, and, and really handmade, and it's be, like eBay and things like that. It's become so uh, monolithic that, that now you can find uh, findings for jewelry. You can find a, there's actually a lot of not very high-quality stuff, but embedded in there you'll still find beautiful things made, you know, people who knit, people who paint, people who sculpt. Um, it's it's actually much, it was known as a craft site, but it's actually across the board, any kind of art related. There's people who sell their paintings through Etsy, you know. Mm -hmm. But now I know there also this competition. There's now something called Artsy, and there's uh, there are other sites. But we're still with Etsy. It's still... Um, works for us. Well, you've built up a, a, an audience, a mm -hmm. market that knows you're there. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, that's really what I wanted you to tell me. Let's say, let's say you're a maker here in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. um, how would they create what you have so that they could, I know this is creating competition for you, but not no. really. Somebody could be doing something totally different. So yeah. how, how would they do that? Well, first of all, concentrate on your work until you uh, get results that you're happy with. Um, you can you can try some local retail craft shows or pop-up shows here and there if you want to deal one-on-one -on -one with people. But if you went if you had some uh, you know eight or ten or twelve things that you made that you're happy with, you can take a digital picture with your phone. You can for free you can go to a place like Etsy and open up basically an Etsy shop. I think it costs 20 cents to upload an image and you give the dimensions and the, and the, mater the uh, material it's made of, whatever information you want about it. So for 20 cents, you know, $2, you can put 10 items on Etsy. And um, Next thing you know, you're selling them. Yeah, and we actually, we actually have uh, something on our phone where anytime we get a sale, you'll hear the sound of an old-fashioned cash register on our phone, like ka-ching. <laughs> and every now and then we'll be driving around, you know. And you'll hear ka-ching. Ka-ching, or like, oh, quick, let's see, you know. And it could be it could be a $25 little pin, or it could be, you know, a $400 necklace. And we've had things like that all the time. So we'll hear ka-ching, and Billy will look, and she'll say, uh, it's fine. It's a you know a pen, or whoa! Someone just bought five things for you know many hundreds of dollars. So, so um, tell me about what's going to happen this weekend. Um, this weekend we're going to have sort of a pop-up porch sale here at twenty three twenty six Esplanade, um, and we invite anybody and everybody to come by and say hello and. And, and, and tell me, like, just uh, your top uh, three or four items that you know people are going to crave and they're going to just sell all, right off. Um, well, we don't usually have piggy banks with us, but I think we have three really nice piggy banks. And they're covered, again, with the patterns and the, and the um, Swarovski crystals. So we're not just talking little, you know, 
metal or porcelain piggy banks. And they have a you know an opening with a rubber stopper at the bottom because we don't want anybody breaking them with a hammer to get their money out. But they are oh God, functional, functional as piggy banks. Yeah. And then we have um, some heart pins, which are a very popular item, and um, and some mandala pins, and uh, I think a couple necklaces and a couple bracelets. And we also have some any jazz stuff. Um, not this time around, no. And okay. we didn't quite have the time to make a mom pattern for um, Mother's, Mother's Day. Day, but I like that because the hearts are great for Mother's Day, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I like how the word mom, you flip it upside down, it says wow. That's it could be a wow. You know? <laughs> okay. But also, uh, I want to definitely mention something that's become a real popular item for us are these. Um, Uh, uh, horoscope uh, necklaces, which are vintage sterling silver um, little medallions that Billy finds on, uh, on online. And then we add one to three beads with them, with the crystals. So you can find, we have a collection that for Mother's Day that all say mom or mother. Then we also have um, quite a few for every sign of the zodiac. The zodiac is the, the your astrological things are just fabulous. Yeah. Well, I know you're uh, running off to uh, Alabama to see your family, mm -hmm. so I'm good. I'll let you go. But um, we look forward to seeing you on Esplanade Avenue, twenty three hundred block, right next to the um, Musée to Free People of Color. Just for those folks who've been there, or two doors down from. Um, the Degas House, which I'm sure many of you have been at since they have weddings almost every weekend. Ask me. I can sing along. Sweet home Alabama. Okay. Have a good trip. Thanks, Jean. This is Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations coming to an end on WBOK, and I will visit with you again next week.